Welcome to a radical discussion of independence, free will, liberty, and the left-hand path. This is Damon Ossifer with your host, Paul Frederick. Fellow Damons to Damonosophy. Tonight, my guest is Douglas Lucas. Douglas has run a record label called Arcana Machine, where he released works by artists like Kenneth Anger and Zeph. Douglas also does a musical project called Damage Signal and has a new release out called Hammer or Nail. Douglas, how's it going? Great. Thanks so much awesome. for having me. You bet. No, I'm, I'm happy to have you on. We started uh, communicating a little while back, and I got to check out some of your music and check out some of your online presence, and it was all very, uh, very dark and inspiring and uh, appealed to appeal to my bizarre taste in, 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 in such things. So, um, Fantastic. Your musical project is Damage Signal, so tell us what's, what's it all about. Yeah, um, well, Damage Signal was born in 2017 uh, when I was living in New York City. Uh, I used to ride around on the subway planning the Damage Signal invasion. (laughs) Um, I felt a need for such a project in my own life as well as in the realm of experimental and occult art. Uh, to express certain ideas and and aesthetics. And it's pretty much an amalgamation of everything uh, that I'm interested in and had been for years really up to that point. Um, Things I've been reading, um, different, you know, philosophical ideas, um, experimental music, performance art, all that stuff. So it it kind of came out of that. Um, And it started with, performance it's uh each performance is a multi-sensory ritual uh it's a kind of an onslaught of sound infrasound uh video gesture and it's all meant to stimulate the conscious and the unconscious mind to bring about harmonic revelations in the mind of each individual person who experiences it and uh performances happen only on specific days like solstices equinoxes and other significant times and uh, there's also other activities that aren't open to the public that happen at various times throughout the year but um, the public performances are pretty spread out and um, yeah it's it's kind of hard to explain it's it's meant to be really experienced more than um, you know necessarily discussed in a way that that really you get the whole picture. Um, so on the website, there's some pictures of the performances. So you can kind of get an idea of what what it looks like, but there's no actual recordings of the performances, video or or audio, because um, it's really meant to be experienced in person. And I've kind of went went to great lengths to kind of keep stuff off the internet if I can, you know, um, mm. just to kind of keep it in that realm. Uh, which you know, it, there's not a lot of it's hard to do that now, you know, everything yeah. is online. So, um, but yeah, 
that that's kind of it in a gist, I guess. So how how long you mentioned it's it's hard nowadays. So how long have you been doing music? Have you been doing this since you know prior to the internet? Internet. Explosion? Yeah, um, yeah. I started playing drums when I was six years old, and from there I played uh, guitar and started playing in punk bands and rock and roll bands, and uh, then got involved in experimental music and some improvisation stuff and uh kind of branched out and you know i I went all the way to i did doing harsh noise to field recordings and all in between so i've i've been doing music for as long as i can remember really and in one way or another and uh but yeah the the whole internet sensation has really changed a lot of stuff you know and made it um made it a little more uh difficult to kind of have anything surprising you know when people show up at a show they've either already heard the music and they know exactly what it sounds like or pretty much what it sounds like you know and it's it's uh you kind of lost that um that you know thing of going to a show and kind of being surprised by what's there oh yeah no i use I, which I, is I, unfortunate I, no, I agree a hundred percent i mean when i was a kid um, I started going out, going to you know, punk rock shows and stuff in the, in the 80s and, and, and the 90s. Yeah. And we just went to shows. And you didn't know what it was going to be, and you just go to the show, and you just have your mind blown by it. And yeah. nowadays, people just go people go to see exactly what they want to see, and they don't want to see anything. You know, they, 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 they have high expectations to, for it to be what they expected, and there's no surprise all of the – all of the mystery, you know, is being is being sucked out of it, and and I think that's probably a, a really huge like cultural thing going on with with humanity right now, um, as yeah. a result of you know social media and the internet and everything. There's no mystery left. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know what people are having for lunch, and you know, uh, all kinds of things that. I personally don't want to know, and I really don't know who would want to know, you know. <laughs> uh, but, um, but yeah, so keeping, keeping things, keeping a little mystery involved. And, and, you know, I think the other part of that is keeping it um, to where, you know, I feel like that this project is, is really, you're not going to get it unless you're there, you know, because there's, um, there's just the whole way that it's set up and, the whole intention behind it is that you're supposed to be standing right there in front of it, you know? So, uh, I try to try to keep it, um, that way for now. Anyway, we'll see what happens later, but. Well, there's definitely a lot of mystery, um, looking at your website and we'll put the, we'll put the link for your website up on the, on the show notes page for this. So, uh, people can check it out. But, um, so for those, I mean, for those who haven't seen it, there's this image on here, um, of a figure in a in a in black robes, very satanic looking, standing behind what looks like a large altar, and on either side there's banners, and it looks to me like um, of the Elhots room. Am I correct on that? Yeah. And it's like a, a right side up on one side and upside down on the other. Um, what it, what does that mean? What's the significance of that? Um, those are essentially the runes of life and death. Um, and uh, they correspond to 
the what's going on on stage in the sense that um, basically there's two sides and two forces uh, coming together throughout the whole performance. Uh, that's what's being symbolized all over the stage. And uh, those are just kind of, um, those two runes kind of take that to kind of the, uh, the farthest extreme, you know, life and death are the two uh, most opposing forces, yet uh, they're, they're one and the same as well. And then you also have this, uh, the whip and the rope. Is that a similar thing, kind of the, the contrast? Yeah, yeah. Um, they, the whip, you know, represents um, one polar opposite of, uh, of the rope. And um, they're coming together there in the shape of the Ingwa's rune, which uh, is um, also known as the earth rune and the rune of harmony. And uh, so it's the putting together of the two forces, you know, the union of opposites. And um, that's essentially what the uh, kind of ideas behind the project in a way is that it's, I mean, it's really complex and kind of goes in a lot of directions, but essentially it's, you know, bringing together these two opposing forces and kind of, I, I think that most people fall into one category or the other, um, and that could be a sliding scale as well. Some could be farther left or farther right. But um, ultimately, I think that everybody has their place in that and that uh, it's all part of the, you know, the union of, of everything. And uh, I think that realizing where you stand on on either side of that and employing that in your life and um, is really important to happiness and just, uh, you know, keeping a good order and balance in everything. So I think this is uh, an idea you find, and, and I don't know if this is intentional for you, but um, one of Anton LaVey's theories, uh, kind of the basis of his personality theory mm-hmm. is, is that everyone is either, in essence, everyone is either a sadist or a masochist, you know, to mm-hmm. some extreme, like you were describing, to some extreme or the other. Yeah. And that, yeah. yeah and, I that definitely by, and, and that they need each other. True. Right. These two types like need each other and it's kind of the basis for interaction. Absolutely. Um, there's definitely some elements of even BDSM culture that play into the whole damage signal apparatus and my feelings on that is that I feel like that um, that BDSM is a uh, reflects nature in a way it reflects personalities and it's kind of a very you know erotic and um, very displayed way of doing it but that it's reflecting core values of um, not only the people involved but I think of everyone that is in existence Yeah. So what does the name, let's talk about the name damage signal. Like how does the, how does that tie into it? Well, originally um, I was calling it D forward slash S capital D lowercase S. And that's a BDSM term actually for dominant and submissive. And um, I was working with a project before that was called damages, which was basically a noise project that, uh, that I was doing that. And I'd done a couple radio shows where I'd been kind of like a, an artist in residence. And I kind of was doing like soundscapes live on air and live mixing and stuff like that. 
And the, one of those that I did, I called a uh, damage signal. And um, um, it just kind of fit with, uh, with the name. And, and I felt like it represented what I was trying to do with the project as well, which is kind of, um, you know, send out this signal that kind of damages maybe ideas about, you know, the way we think the world is and the way that it actually is and kind of replace that with, um, with, you know, with an awakening on that. Um, so it just, it just kind of fell into place naturally. Uh, but originally it was called, it was just called D S. And so, and so then from what, what you described to me there, you're not, you're not a nihilist with this. this. This music is not like nihilism. Like you have this idea that breaking things down in order to create something better. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I, I've done music in the past where it was kind of just, I would consider it really nihilist where uh, it was just meant to be, uh, you know, there was no meaning at all. It was just meant to create a presence, um, you know, through volume and through, putting different types of sounds together. But yeah, with this project and really with all the art that I'm involved in now, I, I, I really do have a, an intention that I want to get across. Um, and sometimes I'm not even sure what that is. You know, it's kind of like if I can break down a wall, then I don't know what's behind that wall, but that's really up to the person who experiences it. But, you know, my job is just kind of to break down the wall and let them see what's there. Yeah. Now you're doing them a favor. Right. That's how I see it, too. <laughs> <laughs> so how would you describe the music to someone who's never heard it? How would you – you mentioned noise earlier um, in your previous experience. Do you consider this damage signal to be noise, or is it experimental? How would you, how would you describe it? Well, it's – I don't even think of it as music. I think of it as just sonic um, – just sonics put together to kind of achieve um, a certain goal, but there's definitely sounds that are recognizable in there. Um, there's a, there's sounds of a record and a turntable, uh, birds, guitars, drums. Uh, there's male and female voices. Um, and volume itself is actually used as an instrument. You know, I, I try to really, um, have it as loud as possible to kind of shake the person to the core, you know, and, and let these, uh, in order to achieve this, these results. But I mean, if you heard it, you would probably say it's, you know, fits into the experimental realm, but I, I don't really think about it as music. I think about it more as like, okay, these two elements, you know, represent this or, or, you know, kind of have this, uh, this idea behind them. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so let's talk about the album. Let's talk about Hammer or Nail. What sure. is the uh, what is that? What, how does that fit in with it? What is what is the aim of Hammer or Nail? Well, um, I mentioned originally this project started as performance, and as it developed, and as the ideas behind it developed, um, I've I've started branching out and trying to incorporate the same ideas into new mediums and uh, into different ways of, you know, getting into people's experiences. Um, so one way that was obviously recorded sound. So what's on hammer and nail, it's a, it's a seven inch lathe cut that was put out by human hood recordings. 
And um, it's a, basically a sonic meditation that consists of a, of a rhythm uh, on a single drum that I came up with. And then on top of that, there's a, there's a voice track that um, is meant to be almost like a chant, um, have the same kind of effect, but it's, it's manipulated and works in a way that um, is meant to hit on a conscious and unconscious level. And um, so again, it's not really, I don't really consider it music. I consider it more of a, of a meditation. And, um, and then Wellsong Partridge did the artwork. He did a really great uh, front and back cover for it, which I think uh, really amplifies the whole thing even more. Oh yeah, that's awesome. And it's a seven inch, and it's and, and and people can buy it from you direct by going to the to your website. I'm actually sold out, uh, and oh, the last I heard, I good. think there's yeah yeah definitely. Um, and the last I heard, I think there's actually just one copy of the seven inch left uh, from the label, but uh, but you can buy it digitally as well uh, if you go to the Humanhood Recordings Bandcamp, which I think is humanhoodrecordings.bandcamp.com. You can buy the the seven inches there if it's still there, and then the um, the you know digital track is there too. Okay. Excellent. So what we talked a little bit, you, you mentioned runes and you mentioned uh, harmonic revelations and some fairly deep esoteric stuff. What is the what is the role of the occult or, or esotericism in your work? Do you have a, a background with those sorts of things? Well, I first became interested in the occult um, through the art of Austin Osman Spare. I don't know if you're familiar with him or not. Oh. Um, I figured you probably were. But uh, for anyone who's not, he was a 20th century English artist and occultist, and he used art techniques like um, automatic drawing and things like that as magical mediums. You know, there was really no separation between his practice as a magician and his practice as an artist. And so I, I got interested in in that type of stuff through him, and that kind of led me down a road where I encountered people like Peter J. Carroll and um, some of the chaos magicians and, um, of course got into Aleister Crowley and, um, more ceremonial magic kind of stuff. But, uh, all of that really was just, um, I feel like was kind of leading up to, uh, when I discovered Anton LaVey and, and read the satanic Bible, that's kind of when everything came full circle. Um, I'd, I just felt like that um, I felt a resonance there that I hadn't felt with um, any of the other people or, or text or anything that I'd encountered. And um, what I really liked about Anton LaVey and, and the Satanic Bible is, um, first of all, as a philosophy, I really connected with it. And secondly, um, you know, there's, there is the whole ceremonial greater magic um, part of the book but then there he talks a lot about you know lesser magic which is um which i think is a really important element that's not discussed as much or at least in as much detail in um some of the other um occult traditions out there so i i really found a lot of resonance there but um but yeah and i feel like with this project definitely there's some influence from that 
you know, and as far as um, aesthetically, I mean, I, the whole presentation of um, the ritual chamber in, in uh, you know, Anton LaVey's living room in the, in the Church of Satan during the, the 60s, you know, it's just, I was just really knocked out by that the first time I saw it, you know. So um, I think kind of cultivating that same type of presence is something that I'm interested in uh, on stage to kind of present and project onto an audience. Um, so, but where was I going with that, dude? Was that, is that answering your question? <laughs> oh, sounds great. No, I completely, yeah, yeah I, I, I agree with what you're saying, um, or I can resonate with, with your experience. Um, I think when I discovered the Satanic Bible, and I'd been in a, uh, on a process of, you know, exploring the occult and looking for different things and, 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 yeah. and trying to find out the truth behind things and trying to find out how I could have uh, power in my life because I was, a, I was a teenager and I didn't, you know, I didn't have enough power I felt over my destiny. Yeah. And, and, and LaVey, I think that book was the first one that I read that started telling you in no uncertain terms that really and magic is something within you. Right. That uh, magic mm -hmm. is not something floating out there that you need to, you, you, you know, you need to find a special formula or, or word to unlock it. No, it's something within yourself right. that comes from the individual and that, you know, ceremony and all these other things that we do are just ways of getting at that ways of kind of helping yeah, you, you know, draw that out. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that, um, you know, he was one of the most uh, important uh, occultist ever, <laughs> and uh, mm -hmm. he just happened to come along. You know, uh, in uh, in the 1960s in in America, and uh, but yeah, no, I I feel the same way. I feel like that, and I feel like going back to lesser magic. You know, I feel like that that that's something that, you know, I mean, there's definitely something to be said for you know, having a, a ritual chamber and, and performing ceremonial magic. I mean, it's uh, definitely a um, powerful, uh, useful tool. But the everyday um, application of, of lesser magic is, is really, I feel like, more, in certain ways, more far-reaching, um, or at least in a, in, is in a compatible way to, to greater magic, you know, to be able to it's the living magic, you know, all the time and, uh, mm -hmm. and incorporating it in different ways. So I think that that's, that's really important. But yeah. um, as I kind of, you know, that there's definitely an influence there from, from, um, from that kind of thinking. And, you know, also people like, um, you know, uh, Heraclitus, the Greek philosopher um, and uh, Carl Jung, you know, the people like that have certainly influenced uh, this project and some of the ideas behind it as well. Well, that's interesting. So tell me about uh, Heraclitus. How does Heraclitus fit into your your formula? Well, I I got the I'm trying to I don't even remember how I first encountered his his work, um, but I remember I was reading through uh, the fragments, you know, of um, the you know his his writings. And um, there's stuff in there like, uh, you know, from all things, one, and from one, all things. Um, he says in there, um, I think, 
there's a part where he says, God is day and night, winter and summer, war and peace. So it's, you know, it's this union of opposites and kind of going back to this idea that everything has a place and um, a role and that that should be embraced totally and not um, denied. And I think that that's, that's something that in the modern culture that we see a lot is I think a lot of people are trying to um, be things that they're not and that they're pushed and encouraged to be things that they're not and that they, then that they can't ever be. Um, And Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, that they're going into careers and uh, ways of life that don't suit them at all. And um, that, you know, cause them to be unhappy and cause a lot of uh, unnecessary problems. Whereas if they were to embrace the, uh, their essential being and, you know, live like, um, like their nature tells them to do, you know, then Mm -hmm. they would be happier and uh, the world would be more in balance and in order. Um, As a matter of fact, uh, Heraclitus, there's a, I know there's a quote where he says, uh, opposition brings concord out of discord uh, comes the fairest harmony. So I think that that pretty much, you know, sums it up. But yeah, his he, he just has these great one-liners, you know, uh, in his in the fragments of his writings that are just, I think, uh, really far-reaching, you know. Uh, I'm going to have to check that out. I have not I have not read much Heraclitus in the past, but that sounds like some interesting. Yeah, he's great. So you also talk about. Um, in line with, uh, with uh, magic and occultism, you also talk about uh, sonic sigils. Can you, can you cue us in on that? Sure. Well, the first, I guess, um, magical practice that I ever tried myself was, was sigil magic, and, uh, which goes back to Austin Spare and um, you know, his influence on on chaos magic and stuff like that. And, um, so I, you know, and for people that don't know what a sigil is, most of your listeners probably do, but, um, it's, you know, it's basically a symbol of desire, uh, that's meant to produce those desired effects. And, um, the, the sigil is like you were saying, it's, it's internalized. Um, and it's really this interesting interplay because it's, it comes from within, but then it, and it becomes something, external but then you kind of work with it again inside yourself and then put it out it's like the psychological process right um Mm -hmm. but i i started using sigils and um i found out that uh they really work uh you know that Mm -hmm. uh that they were a technique that for me was very successful and um you know as i mentioned before uh i've been involved with music or sound in one way or another ever since I can remember. So I wanted to incorporate something really sound specific into my practice. And so it made sense to me to try to incorporate um, sound as a sigil instead of um, the classic, you know, kind of illustration glyph type of sigil. Mm -hmm. So uh, basically it's, the technique that I came up with is, um, and I'm, I'm certainly not the first person to ever use sound as, uh, you know, as a sigil, but uh, it's basically just an expansion of the visual sigil techniques that were developed by Austin Osman Spare and, and other magicians. But essentially, you know, you, you write your desire 
um, such as um, something like this is, you know, this my will to publish a grimoire. And you would remove uh, all the vowels and repeated consonants from that sentence and write the remaining letters in a different order. Um, and then this is where it kind of gets a little different than the than the traditional technique. So you would combine them by recording yourself reading or pronouncing the letters in order to make a sound symbol. And that's just one way of, of doing that. Uh, you can be creative with it. Uh, for instance, you could uh, draw a sigil and then record the sound of a, of a pin tracing it, and that could be your, your recording of the sigil. Um, but anyway, um, you manipulate the recording into a different, simpler sound until it sounds, you know, really magical to you. Um, you know, you can use editing software to add effects, to change the sound or the pitch or the speed of the recording. Um, and then, you know, forget the desire. And then you would charge that in a, um, in a similar way that you would charge a, a regular sigil. You know, you just listen to it deeply in a state of altered consciousness, you know, which could be brought about by orgasm or meditation or whatever, and uh, clo you know, close your eyes, visualize whatever your technique is for kind of sending that sigil out there, you know, into your into the the cosmos, and um, so that's basically it. Um, but I, I wrote a small text about this, and just I kind of it's really kind of bare bones, just kind of giving you the technique, and you know, then you can take it and do whatever you want to do with it. Um, but that, you know, that's a very basic description of a, of a sigil. I would definitely research more before doing it to prepare properly. But um, yeah, that's pretty much it. It's just kind of, instead of making a glyph, you make a sound and you work with that sound and make a, um, a recorded sigil out of sound instead of drawing. Yeah. No, I love the idea. I'm a hundred percent on the same page. So I wrote a book a little while back called Daemonosophy, and I have okay. a very brief chapter in there about um, oral sigil, sigilization, which is basically, you know, basically oh, cool. the same thing. Yeah, basically the same thing. And, um, and, and, you know, it's like, it's one of these things that, you know, when you, you discover sigils, um, you know, because I went through this, this process also, you know, discovering Peter J. Carroll and, oh, wow, you know, Austin Ocean sure. Spare and all this. And then you, you discover sigils, and then one of the next thing you realize is that, oh, wow, sigils are all around us already. You know, you go back and look at, yeah. you know, the goetic stuff, and you're like, oh, wow, those are really sigils. And then yeah, you, yeah. Look at the, you look at the McDonald's logo, and you're like, McDonald's, oh, wow, I was going to really say, yeah. Sigil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and with music, it's the same way, especially modern music which is all about in short little uh, quips, right? Like music used to be like, you know, getting away from classical and stuff like that. Um, as, as music evolved, now music is just sent out in these like really short blasts, you know, pop songs are like, yeah. you, know, um, you know, three minutes. And, and the, the magic in it is, is, is always pretty, you know, mundane, I guess, by, by our standards. But when you realize as a musician – you can do the same thing with your music. It can be um, absolutely. It can totally add a whole new dimension to it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It it really makes the creative process much more in depth and much more uh, much more fun. 
And, you know, something I had not even thought about, I, I thought about this listening to you talk about it, how, you know, the standard uh, formula for creating a sigil is you write out, you know, the statement of intent, and then you go through and you start taking away things from it, right? You go through and you start striking right. out, taking away letters out of it, and then start reforming it. And it just made me recollect for a moment that my uh, musical process is more a, a matter of we just record and throw down a, just a bunch of stuff, then the process of mixing is always a matter of taking stuff out. You spend more time yeah. in post-production taking stuff out, removing things, Absolutely. pulling things out of it, compacting it down, and then... Manipulating it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's it's interesting, the, the parallel there, for sure. Yeah, and, you know, maybe, maybe that's where um, this idea kind of popped into my mind, you know, is doing this kind of thing with, with music um, for years, you know, and then kind of, you know, I've never thought about that, but maybe that's, maybe there's a connection there, you know, because it does make sense. And, you know, it's similar because, you know, uh, the, the ability for people to use sigils and start sigilizing on their own, you know, you could make the case that, oh, well, this appears maybe in the, you know, in the Renaissance or sometime when those grimoires, like, start to right. appear. And, and that has to do with the technology and the general education of the population got to a point mm -hmm. where people had means to, 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 to do such things and to take control of such things. Sure. And our technology nowadays have, has kind of got to the point where people can start, can start doing that now with music and with video, really. I mean, that's probably one thing about the modern era that we have, maybe a good thing that we have about the Internet, is that people can use it in that way to, to, um, to create, you know, sonic sigils, you know, on a, yeah. on a new level that never would have been possible in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, for years uh, I was pretty strict analog everything, um, you know, recording on tape if if possible and and all kinds of stuff. And I, I still really like that process and I really um, get into kind of the limitations of that process and what, you know, it kind of forces you to create new ways of doing things. But um, there's also something to be said for the the endless possibilities of you know modern technology with especially with something like this and with music in general you know you can really um take things to a a level that you just can't with um with you know li more limited means so it's it's interesting you know to cuz you're it's really the only limit is your imagination you know i mean you can take this stuff as far as you want to go and and make it whatever you want to make it and like yeah. you said, it's easy access, too. I mean, you don't have to rent a studio for, you know, $500 a day. You can do this, you know, at home on your computer. Oh, yeah. No, it used to be impossible. Even as recently as, like, in the 80s, you know, or the, the 90s, it was, like, impossible for just one person to create things that, that, that quickly and efficiently. You know, you yeah. had to pay money. You had to pay money to someone to go into a studio and set it up in advance, and you know, it's just oh yeah, very, yeah, very definitely. Different. I've uh, I've had my times doing that. <laughs> it's uh, it's you know, and and you, I mean, 
it's like if that's all you know, like then that's just that's what you know and that's what you do. But once you start, you know, doing stuff yourself, you you realize like you just have the but you have the capacity to to take it more, um, you know, just to experiment more, you know, to try different ideas and see what works, see what doesn't, and um, you know, kind of come out with the best of of all possible worlds, which is great. Yeah. Now, speaking of all of these things, um, you did – let's talk about the label that you did, Arcana Machine, where you had some stuff by, by Kenneth Anger and, and Seth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was a project that I did in 2017 as well, actually. Um, and it was, uh, it was a label exploring – uh, esoteric influences and practices via sound and, you know, musicians and artists. And uh, it's it's currently inactive. Uh, it was really planned to be a short-lived project to release a few recordings by select artists. And some of those happened and some of those didn't happen. Um, but anyway, yeah, um, the first release was by uh, a project by Kenneth Anger and um, – Brian Butler called Technicolor Skull, and um, it was it's basically a collaboration uh, with Kenneth Anger on Derman, and Brian Butler is on guitar and electronics, and um, it started as a live project. They did some shows, and uh, it's really really great to see live. It's basically them doing their thing, and then behind they have the uh, kind of this. Um, collection of uh different scenes from some of anger's films projected um in like a montage kind of way but um the release is called mark six and it, it was their second album that they did i think the first one came out in 2011 uh and it was basically about it's 20 minutes of um them doing like this just heavy sonic ritual kind of thing and um and then side B is that in reverse. So the whole tape is kind of it's a it's some reason it's not cassette. So the whole thing is kind of like a loop, uh, and it's an addition of uh, 666 copies. Uh, so that was the first release. Um, the second release was by Vanessa Sinclair and Carl Abrahamson. Um, Vanessa, they're actually married. Um, they both live in Sweden now. Uh, but uh, at the time they they were not married. But um, Vanessa is a she's an artist and a psychoanalyst who explores the cut up method that was uh, popularized by by William Burroughs. Um, she she explores that as art and, and magic. And then Carl is a is a Swedish artist. He has a a really rich history of art and music making uh, on the international cultural scene uh he he's was closely involved with anton levey and uh people like genesis peorge and people like that definitely i mean there there's so much there that it, i couldn't really go into detail but definitely worth checking out uh but anyway they they put out they were the second release it was their debut album as a as a duo and it basically consists of vanessa and carl uh reading some of her cut up text set to a background of music that was uh, created with by Carl, which is basically um, these kind of electronic soundscapes, which are really great. 
uh, and then the the final release was uh, was by Zev. It was an album uh, called Four Quarters, and um, it was uh, basically four sound pieces based on the four cardinal directions. Um, and uh, it ended up being his his final album. He passed away about a month after it came out. Um, so it, it's um, but it's a, it's a great release uh, as well. And when was that then? That was 2017. 2017. Okay, so that's very recent. Yeah. So the, the the Zeph thing is interesting with all this coming up because that was a big synchronicity for me because. Um, when I had Boyd Rice on the show, he mentioned Zeph, and mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, yeah, Zeph, I haven't heard that name in years. And I actually have an old, old record that I got um, years ago, like in the 80s, I found it in a used used section, um, kind of when I was just discovering Throbbing Gristle and all of these things. And yeah. it was a split, it's a split album, it's the, from the Berlin Atonal Festival. And one side hmm. is is a very early incarnation of Psychic TV where they're doing a live version of the song Unclean. Wow. And the other side of the CD was Zeph, or, or the album, it's a record album, it's uh, Zeph, just like, you know, drumming on on, on, on metal objects for like yeah. 20 minutes. And I'd never heard anything like that before, you know? I'd never heard anyone yeah. put out an album of, of a guy just drumming on metal things you know, for like an hour. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was a really, and then it's a really interesting synchronicity. Then I discovered your stuff and looked at this, and I, and I heard that Zeph had passed away recently, and that kind of blew my yeah. mind. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting uh, how all that comes together. Yeah, he uh, he was an amazing person and uh, an amazing musician. I mean, he was, you know, he was he was a poet as well. He did, he did, he wrote, wrote poetry. Um, and you know, he was just an innovator. I mean, and like you said, these totally non-traditional percussive sounds, he would just, you know, put all this stuff together. And, uh, I know he mentioned that, uh, he used to go out to, you know, junkyards and find just different pieces of metal and different, um, <laughs> different things and, you know, bring them back and, put them together and make these, these new instruments, uh, you know, and I mean, he, and he was, he was really a pioneer of, of industrial music as well. Um, I, I think he's, he, you know, he's really known in some circles and then there's some people who've never, never heard of his stuff, you know? And so I think he's, was never really given the credit that he was really due, but, um, but he's, he's really fantastic. The, the pieces on, on the four corners release, uh, there's definitely percussion there, but he also took some some field recordings that he'd made in uh, I think he said he some of these went back to to the 80s, and uh, he had and so he weaved them in with these percussive sounds and kind of made these just these four 10 minute pieces that are just just really great. But it it kind of shows his talent as a uh, you know as um, putting stuff together too as kind of uh, composing you know is um, is mm-hmm. what I was really knocked out by by the 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 release. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really I really appreciate everything that I've ever seen by his. And and so that release, all of these that we've been talking about uh, from your label, these are all on SoundCloud now, correct? There's uh, teasers on the SoundCloud 
um, okay. th- this is goes back to the what I was saying earlier. Like, I really tried to keep these off the off the internet. Uh, they're they're not available digitally. They're only available on cassette. Um, so what's on SoundCloud is basically like a a minute or so of each piece on the record. You know, to see if see if you like it, you can then you can buy it and uh, and hear it. But but yeah, those are. All of them are still available. Um, the I'm, I'm not doing the mail order since the label's not active anymore, but uh, I do have them on uh, on Discogs for sale if anyone's interested in, in checking them out. But you can preview them there on the on the website by going to the SoundCloud. Okay, awesome. And, uh, and you did a show recently with uh, with Temple of Saturn, right? Yeah, yeah. It was around this time last year, actually, in in New York, um, we, we did a show together. Yeah, she was, uh, I, I'd never met Joan before that, that gig, but, um, she was really great. Really, really, really great artist. Oh, she's great. Yeah. Joan Pope is awesome. She's uh, very cool. You had her on the show before. I really appreciate her stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I checked out the video, uh, that you sent me that she did for your projects. Really, really great, man. I really, really dug that. Oh yeah, now she she can do that. Um, oh, what do you want to call that? Stroboscopic effect that kind of makes you feel like maybe you're being hypnotized or something. Yeah, pretty pretty good stuff. Yeah, it's and real, that was in New York. Kind of so you, you used to live in New York, right? You used to live in New York, but yeah. you don't now. I don't. Where no. are you at now? Um, well, I left New York in 2018, and since then I've been. Uh, living in an undisclosed location. <laughs> um, I've been uh, I've been traveling more than I ever have in my life, and so I'm I'm really going different places and and doing different things, um, collaborating with various people and and performing and stuff. So, but my my home base is uh, just uh, kind of a place where I'm I can go and and uh, and be be uh, be isolated. <laughs> Right. No, I can definitely, definitely appreciate that. Well, all right. Um, so any, any final words for us? What's the, what do you think about the state of the world right now? Are we, uh, are we in the Kali Yuga <laughs> or the final days of the Absolutely. apocalypse? <laughs> Is there yeah. Any yeah. Is there any hope at I, all for, for mankind? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm I'm trying to do my part <laughs> to uh to restore restore some uh some things that need to be restored. Uh yeah. Yeah, I mean I, I'm not sure if we're we're in the final days or if uh the it's already happened and we're we're living in the aftermath. <laughs> yeah. But uh it's a sad state of affairs for sure. Yeah, I don't. I don't know either. But I'm like, as long as I'm here, I'm gonna fight. I'm gonna try and fight for. Yeah, fight the good I mean, fight, I'm, you know? I'm having fun. So you know, that's uh, that's where I'm. That's where I'm at these days. <laughs> awesome. Well, I think all of the stuff that you're doing is definitely on on point, and um, I hope you keep fighting the good fight. Um, and um, you know, keep us in the loop. Let us know how things are going, and. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, well, you know, thank you, thank, I, thanks so much for 
having me on. You you know, you've had some really Hammer interesting guests and um, like I mentioned before, I checked out your website Hammer and I, I thought it was really well. really great. So, you know, uh, keep up the great work. Hammer or nail. Awesome. I appreciate as well. you as well, my brother. Thank you. Hammer or nail. How as well. Hammer or nail. How as well. Hammer or nail. Nails and all, all this way.